Okay, I'd like to read open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. When will we ever learn? I'm sure that's the thought with Jesus sometimes, with his disciples and with us. When will you guys ever learn? But before we get into the message, I'd like to make mention of a few things. First of all, I want to thank you for being here today. A few, just, uh, a few comments just want to reiterate to you uh, concerning the situation that we have here in this country and worldwide, and that is be wise, be smart. If you are having any kind of physical problems or uh, any type of breathing problems that you think might be affected by what's going around and you're afraid, then just be smart. Make the decision you need to make. Just stay at home, stay at home. Then, for you that come and for us that are here, we need to be cautious. You notice we didn't have the shaking of hands this time. And so we're just trying to be cautious. And, uh, you know, if you do shake hands, uh, we've got soap and water in the bathrooms, and we've got uh, the sanitizer in, in the back. And so, uh, uh, you know, just use that. And you make the decision. It's left up to you. You make the decision that you feel comfortable with. Nobody's going to judge you for that, I hope. There may be some, but we won't. We'll try our best not to. So you make the decision you need to make. But the last thing is, and this is most important to me, We are people who talk about trusting God. Please don't panic. Please allow our world to see us and to see Jesus in us. Do not I'm moving to Southville, well, somewhere. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But do not panic. Okay. With that being said, when will we ever learn? Matthew chapter 16. Boy, they, you know, he's, he's uh, just performed two miracles. I mean, back to back. Feeding of the uh, 5,000 plus, and then the feeding of the 4,000. But not only that, and we'll talk about this in a few moments. What was left over after the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000? I mean, baskets full of food, right? Plenty. So he didn't just feed them, he abundantly fed them. And so in Matthew 15, uh, 32 through 39, we have just left the feeding of the 4,000. And Matthew helps us understand that, the, understand that, and he's helping us understand here that the disciples, yes, they're getting little by little, but they haven't gotten it yet. That, and Jesus is, the pace is picking up, and Jesus 
leaving Jerusalem. The climactic time where he will have to go to the cross and will have to be crucified for our sins. So, one thing that uh, if, if you've been there with the disciples, you see in these miracles of feeding them 5,000, feeding them 4,000, you would have thought that the disciples would have said, Lord, right here in chapter 16, we didn't bring anything, but you can take care of it. But you may be like me, you say, as you read this passage, as we read it in just a few moments, man, you guys, you disciples, come on. Where did we get the food last time? Where did we get the food the time before? This is nothing. Feeding just us. Can he take care of it? Let's look at the uh, passage, 16, 1 through 12. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing him, saying, to show them a sign from heaven. But he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say that it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away, and the disciples came to the other side, and they had forgotten to take any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, leaven, bread, boom. TikTok, you just see it. Oh, no, we forgot the bread, you know. And so they began to discuss among themselves, saying, It is because we took no bread, but Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you? Or I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then a light went off in their head they understood. He did not say to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's go forward. Father, I just want to thank you for this time together with these that have joined in worshiping you. And I just pray that you'll just protect us. And Lord, I pray that you'll watch over us. And I pray that uh, as we come together, that our mind and our hearts will be on one thing, and that one thing is you. So, Lord, as we know that you tell us that your grace is sufficient for each and every uh, need that we have, each and every situation that we're faced with, I pray that this sufficiency will be felt in our lives today. God, that you will deal with the hearts, for I cannot. That you'll deal with the minds, I cannot. That you'll challenge us, that you'll convict us, that you'll lead us, that you'll direct us, that you'll encourage us, 
that you'll strengthen us. And we might be drawn to you to trust in you, Lord, and to walk by faith, to be children of faith. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. So Jesus shows us that he not only takes care of the need in an adequate way, but in an abundant way. They not only had the hunger met, but there were the filling of the baskets. They ate and they were satisfied. And then they filled up all these baskets. That meant the satisfaction meant that the food was more than a happy meal. It was more than that. Or a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Or Popeye's. We're talking about smorgasbord type of satisfaction. And so we're, uh, we're looking here and we're seeing that uh, they did more than just, or he did more than just satisfy their hunger. He filled their stomachs up. And they were not barely satisfied, but they were abundantly satisfied. So, leaving that in chapter 15 and chapter 16, what happens? You have this great miracle, you have this great time, you have the healings going on and other things happening. And after a great event, it never fails, does it? It seems like testing comes. It seems like, you know, evil is there. Is always there. But I mean, it pops its ugly head up. And we see that right after all of this, here they come and opposition is there. Opposition confronts Jesus. Matthew 15, 39, we're told that Jesus and disciples returned briefly to the land of Israel only to be confronted by opposition or with opposition again. Now this time it's a little bit different. I mean, they sent the big wheels last time with the Pharisees and the scribes, but they didn't do or they didn't get accomplished what they were hoping to get accomplished. So this time they sent the even bigger wheels, and that is the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now I'll tell you, this is something important because when the people see these people coming together, they know something is in the making. I mean, these people were opponents to one another. They opposed one another. The Sadducees joined forces with the Pharisees in an attempt to, and this was their plan, to trap Jesus into a blasphemous claim and discredit him. So the Pharisees and Sadducees became harmonious, or it seemed, they were on the outside. They, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees were political enemies and religious enemies to a degree. They were antagonistic in their views, their major uh, views. In other words, uh, the Sadducees, you know, they didn't believe in supernatural beings and they didn't believe in the resurrection and the afterlife and, and many of the judgments to come. And boy, how that, that left them uh, an open door to live pretty much the way that they would like to live. They didn't try to protect the laws. They went with whatever government there was and tried to adapt to that 
culture and that, that, that government so that they could blend in with them. When we don't believe in judgments, when we don't believe in afterlife, when we don't believe in, in what God is teaching in His Word, then that leaves an open door for us to just formulate anything that we want and to believe anything that we want and to make up anything that we want. And that's exactly what the world does at times. They come up with their own beliefs. They come up with their own thoughts. And they say, I don't believe that. And so in not believing that, then what happens? They change laws of our land to adapt to the way that they feel comfortable and the way that they believe. And by doing this, they can live any old way that they want to. But the laws are progressive in the sense that they're always changing. Beware of these judges and other people who are always promoting a progressive type of lifestyle and laws. They're always changing. They're always morphing. They're always uh, uh, moving forward. We should stand on the Word of God and what it teaches and not let the influence of our culture dominate our thinking and change our way of living. We have absolutes that we are to draw from and we should draw from those and we should live by those. And so the Sadducees, they were considered the liberal group, the Pharisees, the more conservative group. And, you know, uh, with this, they, they came together and how did they come together against the common foe? You'll, you'll see this in our society today. You'll see it in the world, in the past, right now going on. Two different groups that are uh, totally opposed to one another. If there is a common foe, then they many times will come together, compromise uh, temporarily what they believe or or some things that they believe so that they can attack that one person. Now, this happens with Christianity. A lot of times in our beliefs, different people that believe different ways will come to, together and they're a lot more liberal than what Christianity is, is all about and teaching and just to oppose Christianity. And this is what happened here with Jesus. It's no different uh, then than it is today. And so Matthew mentions that both Pharisees and Sadducees met Jesus and confronted him. Mark, he only mentions the bad, uh, Pharisees and he mentions uh, the Herodians who make up the, the Sanhedrin, the, the, uh, the political aspect of it. And so uh, that basically is the same. So the Pharisees were were very hypocritical and very proud and legalistic and the Sadducees and the Herodians on the other hand were very worldly and had an intense interest in political power. So the, this, these groups came together and in Matthew we read and the Pharisees and Sadducees came up and testing him asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Mark tells us immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of, of Dalmanutha. And so the Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And the word for test there 
uh, is different than testing him to see that if he was the Messiah or not. It was used in a, a sense similar to uh, Satan testing Jesus. It was diabolical. And so we know that it wasn't testing to see if he was the Messiah because he'd already passed that test. He told them over again, look at these signs, look at Isaiah, look at the Old Testament. Is this not the fulfillment that you're looking for? But they would not believe. And so as it comes uh, together, we see that uh, one thing for sure, that the Pharisees had already seen these signs from him, and they could not deny, yet they discredited him by uh, beforehand calling him what? Beelzebub. So uh, for what greater public miracles to show his powers than uh, taking a small amount of food and feeding thousands. But not only did he do that, the, the blind, the lame, uh, you know, the mute, they all came by and the demon possessed, and he healed them as they brought them to him. With all these miracles occurring, you would have the Pharisees and, and uh, Sadducees coming to Jesus, and you think that they would be believing, but they demand a sign. And you say, where in the world have you been? Well, let's look at the Lord's rebuke. We see that in Matthew 16, it tells us, but he answered and said to him, when it is evening, you say, it will be a fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatened. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the, the signs of the time? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given except the sign of Jonah, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And he left them and went away. His response was proverbial in the sense that he's not teaching a universal law as far as weather here, but he's reciting a well-known adage to make a point to them. Red sky morning, sailor take warning. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Now where it came up with that? But anyway, uh, they knew it, you know. And so, it must have been a common view, though, to live a long time ago. And notice that he stated, you say, for they have asked for a sign out of heaven. And Jesus pointed to the common signs of the heaven, which they claimed to understand. He says, okay, you want a sign out of heaven? Man, you're, you're experts. You can tell the weather by looking into the heavens. You mean you haven't seen the sign yet? I mean, he was, he was really letting them have it here. And if they were so skilled at these signs, as they said they were, then his miracles, teachings, and fulfillment of the Old Testament messianic promises should have been recognized as signs from heaven about the kingdom. The signs of the times might literally be more uh, better translated. The indications of the appointed time or occasions, referring to, uh, of course, to the uh, appointed time of the Messiah. 
the indications of the kingdom. They were all placed there. He said, didn't you see these signs? Look at John the Baptist. What did he do? He was playing the role of what? Elijah. The, he was making the way for the coming Messiah. The Romans desecrating the holy place. The miracles were flowing from the Messiah as predicted in the Old Testament. His teachings were righteousness and truth and, and strict uh, accordance with Scripture. Yet they could not discern any of these, and they were supposed to be people that protected the Scripture. All the signs were there. For a new dispensation, the coming of the age of what? The church. Man, we're about to see this in chapter 16. And later on in chapter 16, the coming of the church, the announcement of the church, the new covenant, the inauguration of this new covenant involving the forgiveness of sins uh, through the blood shed on the cross. And these events, these great events, seem to not register yet in them or with them. All that registered for them were the predicting of the weather. His condemnation of the generation that saw the signs was intended to be an, a, an additional insult. Rather than being spiritual and wanting to see God's miracles, this generation was evil and adulterous, it says, and so unfaithful. With them being described as evil, he was making very clear a moral statement but yet adulterous is a very important word here and, and uh, more than likely it's primarily referring to the spiritual adultery. It's often used in the Old Testament to describe Israel's flirtation with paganism, just as it's used here. So God should not be required to prove himself by signs and wonders. Why? Because his word is sufficient. Jesus' word was sufficient. The Old Testament was sufficient that he referred to. We have the completed word of God. It's sufficient. We don't have to require God to prove himself today. But we do it kind of We ask him to. All of his works demonstrate his sovereignty and his, his faithfulness. But you know, at the same time, he's not obligated to uh, to prove his love, commitment, and faithfulness because he's done that at the cross, beyond the grave, and on and on. With each miracle, with these men, though, come more doubt. In other words, they're like us. Well, you know, I, I don't know if I believe that's really from God. That's a miracle. Can you make it a little bit more direct? Can you make it a little bit more clear? Can you make it a greater magnitude? We do the same thing today a lot of times. We see God at work, and what do we do? The next time we're faced with a circumstance or a situation, we want God to do something greater to make, you know, God, 
Are you there yet? Did you really do the thing before? I, I want to see something bigger this time. To show yourself. To know that, that it's you. But are we going to really believe? It's going to be a continual vicious cycle of unbelief. This is the perverse pit that the uh, Sadducees and the uh, Pharisees were in. And when Jesus began his public ministry, it was always accompanied by signs. And these signs were for a reason. And they were to show that he was the Son of God. He was who he said he was. The sign of Jonah, already mentioned in chapter 12, verses 38 through 41, was clearly a reference to his own burial and resurrection. When the Sadducees, the sign of Jonah must have really you know, confused them and, and, and really uh, complex the situation. They probably became even more cynical when he mentioned them. You know, when we talk about the Lord and, and salvation to a lost person that doesn't believe, what do they do? I mean, they either open their minds, allow the Spirit of God to open their minds, and they listen for more truth, or they become more what? Sinners. They even may make fun of what we're saying and what we're doing. Mark tells us that Jesus sighed deeply, gave a deep groan, in the spirit and left them. This expressed great agony and exhaustion, being constantly in conflict with the faithless, the self-righteous religious leadership. This lets us know that his personal anguish did not begin in Gethsemane. It had been going along. I wonder how Jesus feels about us today. When we demand a sign, show me. When we talk about being people of faith, and when circumstances and situations arise, we show what little faith. What a terrible thing to have Christ turn his back on you in several ways. This is ultimately what he did for those who continually refuse to accept his revelation. There comes a time when he gives no more signs, no more help in understanding. Luke 11, beginning with verse 29 and continuing in verse 32, we're told that it was an insult not to see the signs which had occurred in Jesus' ministry. But you know what the greater insult is? Is that Jesus was the Son, and they refused to believe him. Now let's look at more closely the group that he's training, the disciples, in closing. The dullness of his disciples. The other side, the other side of the lake, they're returning, getting away. This is one of the final times before, or one of the few times where he gets away and tries to teach them before the big confrontation. The disciples should have been prepared for the trip, but they weren't. And on the occasion, they failed big time, this time, in Matthew 16, 5. But God used it as a teaching time. 
And the disciples came to the side and they began to take bread, Mark says. In verse 14, they did not have more than one loaf in the boat. This is another lesson involving bread. In Matthew, we're told. He mentions the 5,000 and 4,000 feeding them and all that was left over. And so, uh, Matthew in chapter 16, we read, and Jesus said to them, Watch out and be, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leaven, we did not have bread. Boy, he's, he's confronting us. And then Jesus made a comment intending to use the aftermath of his conflict with the Pharisees and Sadducees as another teaching opportunity here for the other disciples. And he warns them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they're thinking, bread. He's chastising us that we did not bring any food. The watch out for is in a is a present in Pharisee. And you know that's a command there, and it's an ongoing. He says, continue to be aware of this. In other words, I'm not just talking about physical bread here. I'm talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is just a one-time point. It has happened in the past. Continue on being aware of it. Pay close attention to it. Be on guard. And the leaven here was a catalyst. And that was, you remember how if, if it gets in bread, how it makes it right. And he says the same thing. It can Not only can it be used for sin, but we see it used earlier for the kingdom of God for good. And it was used over and over again symbolically, teaching them this. They're, they're teaching here, he's saying, is so subtle that if you're not careful, it will become a real danger. He says, beware of this. And the disciples began to discuss among themselves about what Jesus said. They were missing the point. Their minds were focused on the temple rather than on the more significant spiritual battle that was going on and ahead for them. They were probably thinking about vendors who dealt with the Pharisees and Sadducees and they said, well, you know, we don't want to deal with them. Jesus is telling us not to deal with them to get any food from them. And Jesus confronted or counted on, uh, you know, uh, being misunderstood by his enemies, but not by his disciples. So in verses 8 through 10, it says, but Jesus, aware of what they were saying, said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves because we have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of 5,000 and, uh, uh, and how many baskets you took up or the seven loaves of 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you did not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? You men of little faith, he said. It was a stinging rebuke. He did not say you didn't have any faith. He said, of little faith. But we act the same way. He, he tells us today, when we go through something and he takes care of us, he, he works a miracle, we see him at work, then we question him later on. 
we, you know, we plan for. We do a home there. One problem they had was we can become too familiar. Familiar. They were around it so much. You see, the repeated exposure of this teaching when not reflecting on them. This is so important, people. You hear me every Sunday unless I have a guest speaker or somebody else. Other churches, they hear their pastor every Sunday and maybe on Wednesday. The problem is familiarity. It's with every church. It's with every group of believers. The repeated exposure of one's teaching when not reflected on and acted upon works in an insensitivity and a dullness in our lives. We've got to have that ongoing relationship with the Lord or we just come to church. We just come to gatherings and that's all we do. We don't hear the Spirit of God when we do that. They were not appropriating what they were hearing and seeing. How many of us, the same thing has happened with us? I want to be honest with you. When I listen to other preachers on, on the radio and, and other places, it's there for me too. Oh, I've heard that before. I may not say that, but that's what my mind says. And I don't get, I miss what God has for me to hear. What God is speaking to me about. Why? Because my heart is not prepared really for it. And their heart was not prepared for the lessons. Not really. It's like one person told me just recently about a preacher that was, the church was running over uh, 800 to 1,000. And he just stepped down. And what his son-in-law said, why did you leave the church? He said, well, he said, I love the church. Don't get me wrong. He said, but it's kind of like these communities that are built around the railroad tracks. He said, man, when they first built the houses, you hear the train coming, you hear the whistle, and it wakes you up. But you live there long enough, and you sleep through it. Same train, same whistle. You sleep through it. We're not careful we can be just like the disciples. One of the best shields in preventing spiritual weakness and decline is to remember. Man, we need to be people that remember. The book of Joshua, when they crossed the Jordan, what did they do? They brought stones out of the, 12 stones out of the river, Jordan River, and placed them in a crude mound in Gilgal as a memorial, as a memorial. Man, we need to erect some kind of a memorial. I don't, I don't care if it's your marker in your Bible. You need to erect it that says, remember, acknowledge, be alert to what can happen 
again and again, Joshua re-ran the mental take of what God had done in Israel. Gilgal became the command headquarters for conquering the promised land. Jesus wanted them to realize that not to use it meant to what? Pharisees and Sadducees, they missed it because they didn't take the word that they had and properly apply it. They weren't growing. They didn't know the Lord. So things that we need to remember in closing. The ones whose minds are already made up, whose conscious unbelief will not believe the dollars. You've got to remember it's got to be God that breaks through the and those who consciously rejected are just hardening their hearts. And you cannot manipulate them into believing. God's got to save them. God's got to crack that shell. And they've got to allow them to do that. <clears throat> Preoccupation with the mundane and earthly can keep us from understanding what God is trying to teach us. Man, the disciples were so concerned about too concerned with that and they missed the teaching the Pharisees and the Sadducees were too concerned with their political movement and their teaching and they missed Christ's teaching and what was trying to help Christ we get too involved in things around us we will not hear what God is saying those who serve Christ need to guard against and I won't say any more about that. I've already said it. And an important shield against spiritual decline, as I said, is to remember. Let's bow down to prayer. Father, thank you that we have your word, that we have your spirit living within us if we're believers in Jesus Christ. And God, we have the wonderful privilege and opportunity of growing continually. But it can get to the point where we miss out on what you were teaching us. Because we've become so involved with the mundane and the things around us. And we're not as in tune to the spiritual like we should be. God, help us to be alert. Help us to remember, continually remember that you're sovereign, that you're in control, what you've done in the past, what you're doing now, and Lord, what you want to do. And help us to repeat this over and over again. Your process. Making sure we're walking by faith and seeing you work acknowledging you at work and then God seeing your grace do the work that it needs to do in our lives as well help us to be those creatures those believers those family members in your community in your family that are to Live this out for the world that doesn't know. 
God's dealing in your heart, your soul. Maybe it's become a deal in your heart. Whatever it is, you allow God to work. Thank you. 